0: So next time you're in Southern California, which Dan, I actually to know,
1: I'm quite, I'm there quite often. at least when it's not COVID, I'm there quite often. Yes. Right okay. now they don't want anyone from Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. Well, that's true. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So this one is near Mission Vajjo. Vajajo? Vaj, Vaj, Is
1: that off Supple Vita Boulevard? I think it is.
0: <laughs> it's near Lajola. Jolla. <laughs>
1: I apologize. Abitavo, San Luis I, 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 I apologize for everyone in Twitterverse right now.
0: Anyway, it's not far from Los Angeles. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> it's near Mission Viejo, yeah. and this is a trail on which there is a few different geocaches. One of these, multiple geocaches on one trail. On one trail, this My is goodness. a series. Buy one, get one free. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. According to legend. There is a sycamore tree on this trail, and I believe the geocache is either in the tree or near the tree, where... Do you have to climb a sycamore tree to get it? Uh, You don't have to climb up in a sycamore tree. But what if I'm a
1: wee little man?
0: (laughs) If you are a wee little man and a wee little man are you, (laughs) then you, you may want to climb up in this sycamore tree, just, you know, for what you wanted to see. So this one is, apparently, the place where... The notorious Mexican burglar, Joaquin Marietta, wow. hid his ill-gotten gains. This I, is specifically I'm already scared. Verbatim says ill-gotten gains. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? Like the dread pirate Scott is his best yeah. friend. <laughs> so Joaquin Marietta was this fascinating person who was became known as a Mexican Robin Hood. Mm. And he was a person that lived up around... He became known as the Robin Hood of Mexico or the Robin Hood of El Dorado. Hmm. And El Dorado, of course, is this other mythical place. Um, But what happened with him was that he was a miner and went through all these different bad things that happened to him with various banditos and, and authorities and that kind of thing. And then somebody wrote, what essentially was was called a dime novel, which hmm. is a, basically a pulp fiction story about this character, and hmm. he became the character. So who knows who he actually was, and if he had ill-gotten gains in the Sycamore Tree. But when
1: you have banditos along, I mean, I feel like you just if you have banditos, you're going to have ill-gotten gain. You're going. I mean, banditos and ill-gotten gain. They just go together. They go together.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like hand in foot, hmm. hand and foot. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, that is, that is the story, and you can go here and find this guy, and somebody wrote this Pulp Fiction thing. These myths went through the various villages in that area, which was pretty much Mexico mm-hmm. at the time, um, and eventually became, I think the white people were like, oh, he's like Robin Hood, and the Mexican people were like, we need our own. He's Zorro. Oh! And Zorro, he became Zorro. No way! Yeah. I didn't see that twist coming. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so he he is probably the basis for the sort of dime store novels that are written later about the adventures of. Marvel. I
1: always liked Antonio Banderas as Zorro. I thought he did a very good Zorro. I thought he did a very good Zorro as well. So anyway, Josh, if anyway. if our wonderful listeners can somehow find their way to this geocache, mm-hmm. what do they get? What do they get? Dee 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 dee. Dee dee. What they get is not the original movie, but all
0: the Zorro sequels on VHS. <laughs> so I happen to have gently used VHSs of Zorro 2 through 5 <laughs> that I will send you. From my own personal stash. Now, these are the only copies that I own. And possibly the only copies there are. Of all the Zoro sequels. Now, the original was too expensive. I can't. I'm not going giving my original Zoro away just because someone went the to Mission Vigilio.
1: Buy a plane ticket, get out there. And we the will ray, send The you race starts the Zorro. right now. It I mean, starts many people right, right this now. very now. In the days of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abihah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Do you know what we're talking about today, Josh? We're talking about... Advent. It is Advent. It's the first week of Advent. Doesn't that warm your heart a little bit? It does. I love Mm. Advent. Here are the bells. There are some bells. Look at the bells. Oh, is that Carol of the bells? As rendered by me. Josh (laughs) is a triple threat. Looks, humor, (laughs) and and singing. It's really quite amazing to be in here. I am the Zorro of geocaching. (laughs) 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 But if, if... If anything, I feel like sets the stage for Advent, it's this topic. Barrenness and virginity. Doesn't that just get you in the Advent spirit? Absolutely, my friend. And the question is, why are we talking about that? And the reason is, today we are talking about Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. And the question I want to ask is, why on earth does Matthew and Luke so prominently feature a barren woman and a virgin at the beginning of their story. That seems a bit odd, doesn't it?
0: Yes, and I've never even thought of it until now, and that's why we're here. Correct, exactly.
1: Awesome. So let's just take a quick walk around Scripture and look at barrenness for a second. There are many, many important stories that hinge on a wife, who was barren and wanted desperately to have kids. And so, for instance, we have Sarah in Genesis 11. We have Rebecca in Genesis 25. We have Rachel in Genesis 29. We have Hannah in Samuel 1. And not only that, I was also pondering this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you have another woman who's barren, or not technically barren, but as good as. And it's Naomi in the book of Ruth. And so if you, can, if, you can, if you consider her plight, I think, I think the Bible is actually developing as her story as one who's barren because she has to go into Moab because of a famine in Israel. And there, her two sons die along with her husband. And so here is a woman who, while she's had sons, no longer has sons. She has no capacity to have sons, and the storyline is driven along by this question of what's going to happen to this woman who can no longer produce children of her own. And so, across the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, you see this theme of barrenness popping up again and again. And so, be, before we jump too far into this, if you're listening and you struggle with fertility, please know that we, like Josh and I, both totally get it. We have good friends. Uh, we we know lots of people who have also struggled. And God, I just want to say, God is with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we talk about barrenness and even virginity. The first thing we need to do is talk about social context because the Bible's context is not our context and the Bible's culture is not our culture. And the way we think about sexuality, the way we think about family in the 21st century is very different than the way the Bible thought about family in the first century. And so let's just face the fact that the youngest parts of the Bible are like 2,000 years old, which means that whatever family Jesus was born into and whatever family system John the Baptist was born into, it's certainly not a family system that looks anything like our family system. And so if we think about marriage, for instance, in the 21st century, we have this idealization of love. Like marriage is an institution Mm -hmm. of love. In the ancient world, especially in ancient Judea, like love was included in marriage, but that was not the purpose of marriage.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The purpose of marriage was family. It was all about producing generations, who produce generations, who produce generations. And there were some fairly strict, like, gender roles. And so men worked in the field, they provided and they protected for their family, and women were valued in some ways based on their capacity to have children. And so let's just consider, for instance, the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She's had multiple husbands, and there are some very good scholars who say that she, it's not that this woman somehow was unfaithful to all of her husbands. Chances are she couldn't have kids Mm. and so husband after husband would divorce her her. because that 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 was that was your function that was your role that was one of your main identities Mm. in the first century and again instead of casting shame or judgment on that culture let's just let it exist for what it Mm -hmm. is it's not our Mm -hmm. culture but it, it does have some value and again that's not to say that the bible validates that culture more than it validates our culture they both just exist alongside of each other but let's just put ourselves, for instance, in Elizabeth's shoes. Like uh, She's unable to have kids, and therefore her role as a wife is in question. Her role in society is in question. Her role in history is even in question, because she's not able to have children who will remember her. And with this, I think we can begin to talk about barrenness, as a, a theme in scripture that really needs to be wrestled with. I think Luke especially intentionally begins his gospel with this, this question of what, what does God do when he is confronted with a scenario where life cannot happen? So let's just, let's just ask ourselves about the first barrenness story which isn't about any person in specific. It's about God's creation. I would say that in terms of the theme of barrenness, we need to understand Genesis chapter 1. Because God in Genesis 1 is all about creating a world that is capable of producing generations of humans that can produce another generation of humans, that can produce another generation of humans. It's all about creating a world where life and beauty can flourish. But if you look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 like the world is tohu va like it's it's warp it's waste it's empty it's void it's not a place at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. that can produce the type of life that God wants to see in his and good so, world
0: so we'll start reading there yeah and stop at luke anyway yes they, go so, ahead. so open so, your Bibles just so you know i hope
1: you're here for the next <laughs> 36 hours so open your bibles king james only and here we go absolutely mm-hmm. in the king james hebrew
0: <laughs> Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so th- this is really important because I-, I think that Genesis one is talking about barrenness, and that means that we always need to understand this theme in relationship to creation slash new creation. And this this is one of the the story arcs that we see in the Old Testament that God is capable, whether it's creating a a, a world of beauty out of a world that's barren or creating life in a family that doesn't have any kids. This is what God is up to in the world. It's almost as if his favorite people, his favorite muses, are those things that aren't capable of producing life in themselves. It's as if Mm -hmm. God has so much life in himself that he can't help but to just want to give and give and give life, life, life. That's what God is about. And I think we, we can only properly understand the beginning of Matthew In the beginning of Luke, especially the stories of Martha and Mary, when we understand the relationship between barrenness, creation, and new creation. Because, I hope you know this, Josh, I'm not necessarily a scientist. But I I know, I know, I don't have my white coat on. Sheesh, fudge in the resume. But I, I do know two things to be scientifically true that there, yes, there, are, there, there are two types of people who cannot have kids. Mm. I know, right? You, you are wondering where I'm going. Whoa. The answer is not Robin Hood or Banditos. Don't worry. No, no, no. no. Or, zero. <laughs> or, or Zorro. Or yeah, Zoro. Yeah. So I, I, I know this, that women post-menopause cannot have kids. And that women, before they've ever known a man, let's say, cannot have kids. And so these are a third category. Men.
0: <laughs> Josh.
1: Well, <laughs> you got me. I had to you fill it out. You know. Unless you've watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Ju- is it Junior? Isn't that the, the Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger movie where he yes. actually somehow gets pregnant? Yeah. That's a, that's a wild one. That's a weird time for Arnold. Actually, when it yeah. comes to the season of Advent, I really enjoy watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies.
0: I do all the time. Jingle yep. all the way. Are you yep. kidding me? Yep. It
1: is yep. delightful. And hear the lamentations of the women. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, back to what we were talking about. Why does the gospel of Luke especially, let's say, begin with two women who should not be able to have life in them? It's because that's the story of what God is doing in the world. He is capable of putting life in the very places where you never expected it to be. And so I, I like to think of it this way. When, when, you, when, you, when you see Elizabeth, who only ever wanted a child, suddenly get pregnant. When you see Mary, who suddenly finds herself pregnant, even though she's, she's never been married to Joseph yet. She's never had sex before. It's almost as if you should hear in the back of your mind, like, there's this phrase that uh, is in the Chronicles of Narnia. Like, Aslan is on the move. Like, something something is happening. God is doing something to put... Put life, not just, not just into Elizabeth or or Mary. He's doing something to fundamentally infuse his creation with his life, and in in a, in a creation where joy and beauty and truth and goodness was beginning to wane, God is at work doing something new. And so you could say Mary and Elizabeth in some small way are like microcosms of what God wants to do in his good world. It's it's not just about a a miracle happening for Elizabeth. It's about new creation happening again in God's world. And I, I would even say, Josh, that these stories Aren't just about neat historical facts that Luke thinks are pretty keen, so he wants to record them. These these stories are meant for us, and so let's just consider like Advent. Is, is Advent a a positive experience for most people? Is the Christmas season a positive experience for most people? What do you think, Josh? Mm.
0: Well, I think it's it's a polarized experience. Mm. Um, I would say for most people in my experience, I've met very few people who were like, hmm, Christmas, yes. whatever. Yeah, um, People are like, you know, suckers for it. Amy Grant comes out. They
1: have their, you know, Christmas lights up already.
0: Yeah. Do you have your Christmas this lights This guy up right on? here. Are you serious? This guy right I here. I can't be on the
1: podcast anymore. I
0: know. <laughs> I
1: understand that. I understand that. I feel I, if you need to go, I get it. All, all, all I know is my house is not bedazzled. At least not yet. I don't yeah. know. This yeah. is my first year owning a home, and I'm trying to figure out if I actually want to go through the hassle of putting up Christmas lights. You've been away from home for like two hours. Am, am I anathema <laughs> if Tiffany I don't... could be right at it. Oh, right I... Now. That's an interesting... <laughs> <laughs>
0: she could be. She Kudos. could be. Yes. Well, there you go. House owner. Mm. House owner, Christmas lights. Big question. Mm. Big question. But D- divisive question. D- divisive question. Polarizing question. Mm. Um, for me, for me, I will say the Michael W. Smith vintage Christmas stuff comes out Right as my kids are counting out their trick or treat candy, pretty much. Michael like,
1: W. Smith has vintage stuff come out? No, f- out of my closet. oh, out of your closet. Out of closet, I thought you like meant like Michael W. Smith re-releases all of his stuff again. Of course again. he does. <laughs> he does all the time. <laughs> You've got to be familiar with his catalog. It's oh. mostly like mostly
0: like reflecting on his greatest hits. Mm. Um, it's great marketing. Mm. Anyway, so I am a very Christmassy guy. Yeah. Bottom line. But on the other pole are people who hate it mm-hmm. and who drink their way through the holiday. Yeah, And so I would say, yeah, it's like that. Like I don't, not a lot of
1: people who like sort of shrug. Yeah. I, I think there are lots of people, maybe even some people listening, who when they think of Christmas, they think of their alcoholic uncle or their grandpa's, you know, inappropriate jokes or their, their cousin who's just angry at that, you know, political party. And it just becomes a... A drudge through the holiday season because you know that it's not going to live up to your expectations. Your family members are going to do obnoxious things. Your kids are going to be ungrateful. Your spouse is not going to be helpful. You know, you have to put up the Christmas lights alone, whatever it might be. Like you, There is, a, a I think, a, a heaviness. Over enough people during Christmas, where they they need some hope, and they maybe even need to ask the question like, what is what is God up to this Advent season? What what is God? What what might be possible because Jesus has been born into the world? And I I, I just want us to think and ponder Elizabeth and Mary and the story that God has created in their life, and how again that story is not meant to be isolated just to them. It's meant to radiate out to each of us. In lives where there, there's no hope, God wants to infuse it with hope. In lives where there's alcoholism, God wants to infuse it with joy and sobriety. Where we're lives that are, you know, full of uh, cantankerousness, let's say. That's a, that's a fun word. There's God, God, God yeah. wants to bring grace and joy and happiness. And I, I think that Luke 1 reminds us that The God that we worship is just crazy enough to be up to those types of of things in the world. Again, we worship a God who's so full of life that when he sees joylessness, he can't help but to just giddily want to give joy and give hope and give gladness to people. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the the best way to reflect, or at least this is what's been on my mind, is the words of the immortal, uh, that's the wrong way to say it. The words of the very wise Robert Ferrar Capone, who says this, Like at the very worst, all you can be is dead. And for him, who is the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. And for those who need some hope this Christmas, just remember that when Christ looks at you, he sees you as his favorite cup of tea. Tax Humana. Cheers.